Today's show is brought to you by Fiverr. Fiverr is a service where, frankly, you can outsource a lot of tasks to someone else and have them do it very inexpensively. If you've ever watched or observed the show notes, not the show notes, but the transcriptions for this show, what you'll see is work that's been done by someone I've hired on Fiverr. I've also had uh, editing for my books done on Fiverr. I've had a variety of different functions done there, and I've done it for years. It saves a lot of time. It's very inexpensive, and I'll just simply say, use the link in the show notes. It helps support the advertiser and lets them know that this show has meaning for you. And with that, we'll be back in just one moment. This is No BS Job Search Advice Radio, episode 2140. I'm your host, Jeff Alpin, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome. We spend time Monday through Friday talking with you about some element of job search because I believe it doesn't have to be as hard, difficult, painful, or take as long as it does. It's just the skills needed to find a job are different than those needed to do a job. And today I'm interviewing Daniel Space, a former corporate HR business partner, and he gives you an idea of what it's like on the other side of the deal on the corporate side, when they're going through their thought process about the money. And that includes about going, shall we say, above and beyond. I think it's a very interesting interview. Hope you find this helpful. Hope you give it a great review wherever you listen to the show. And we'll be back in just one moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So my guest today is Daniel Space. Daniel started in HR in 2003 (laughs) with American Express and from there moved from benefits to the HR business partner role and has worked for companies like WebMD, Electronic Arts, and Spotify before leaving the corporate world in January of 2020 to open a consultancy. In fall 2020, he started producing content on TikTok Dan from HR, as it relates to job search, and has become addicted to helping people understand all the common misconceptions and bad info about job search, interviews, and especially compensation. I'm going to add in there negotiation. Dan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for that welcome, Jeff. (laughs) You're very welcome. And by the way, I love your fashion sense. Right. Red Sox, Raiders. <laughs> At least you got the R's right. Exactly. I just, I just, I have no sports affiliations. I just like to wear this for the pure confused comments that I get, <laughs> especially from Uber drivers. Super. So folks, we're going to be talking about some of the myths that exist about HR. We're going to talk about negotiating um, and a couple of other things related to how firms hire. Woohoo! Yes. So let's start off with some of those myths that people have about the hiring process. And if you were thinking of some of the important myths, where, where, where should we start? You know, stupid myth number one. 
<laughs> the, I, the, the overimportance that people claim networking because networking is very essential, but it has to be done the right way. But I see so many content creators say, oh, networking is the key to everything. But if you don't have like that HR recruiting experience, then all you're doing is sending cold emails to people that will never respond to you. And how should people be networking in order to get results if the cold messages don't work? So the most effective way I've always found to network is you, you go for the long game. And the perfect example I had was that someone reached out to me after I had closed one of my recs for an HR generalist. And she had just started out in her career and said, hey, even though I know I didn't get this job, do you mind if I, can I talk to you about your career, about HR, about the field? She made it about me. And we had three or four different sessions over Zoom. We had coffee chats. She was absolutely lovely, very delightful. And we, all we spoke about was me and HR. At no point did she ever bring up a job. And what happened was I started to become her champion for her. So anytime I saw an open role in my, in my network, I would think of her, I would forward her, I would boost her up. That's how you network, that you have people doing work for you on their behalf versus you reaching out saying, hey, I'm candidate number 1100 who wants a job, please hire me. And Russ, the question I have is, how long from the time of the, okay, she gets turned down and she reaches out to you post-rejection and goes, I want to find out more about what you do. You're so handsome. <laughs> and I want to understand the differences in the jerseys and all the, and all the other stuff. How long did it take before you started to champion her within the organization again? It took three months, I would say, before. There was the first time I remember when I looked on LinkedIn and I saw one of my networks had posted saying, hey, I'm looking for an entry-level HR specialist. Does anyone know someone? And I was like, oh, I have the perfect person. Get that one, folks. What he's saying is informational interviews work. And if you're thinking, like in dating, you go out on one date and it always works and there's romance, no. You, what you do is you focus on the other person and thus learn about them, develop the relationship with them so that in this way they want to go to bat for you. And yes, it takes a little bit of time, but so what? And then you so, build great relationships along the way. Exactly right. Whether it's on this job search or the next four job searches you're on, it becomes relationships that wind up profiting everyone. Absolutely. I love this one. Yeah, I like I that one too. Because it does advocate for networking. Absolutely. And people have this goofy idea that it's, hi, hire me. Exactly. <laughs> she introduced me to this guy who... <laughs> There, there's this there's this common trend right now on TikTok between all the job search influencers, I call them, who don't have any experience in HR or recruiting, who are just essentially repeating advice that sounds good. And right now the common one is go to LinkedIn, go to a company you want, filter by education, and there's your network. And But like I have people on my network saying, why are all of a sudden, why are all of these college students reaching out to me, like from some school I graduated 18 years ago, saying that we should be connected somehow? And I'm like, that's not how you network. Like that's... That. But it's the alleged influencers who claim knowledge. Exactly. It's one thing if you're two years out of, uh, you're in school, you're reaching for the person two years ahead of you. Say, how'd you get that job? You know, what was it like for you? you know, that's one thing. 18 years? <laughs> like, why is this person reaching out to me? <laughs> it is funny. Um, what's another one of those goofy myths? that you run into? Uh, 
this one I think is maybe less of a myth and more of a let me know if I can change topics a little bit here, but something I would actually, I absolutely agree with on the recruiting process that sucks and I find totally useless. I have two, which is the, the need for cover letters and the requirement for thank you notes post interview as a metric of candidacy. And those I take more on to companies, but I normally tell people like, don't send a cover letter, don't send thank you notes. And what don't you like about cover letters? So the, the original thought of the cover letter was that it introduced the candidate's application. It added a little bit of a personal touch. So there was a point where it was pretty necessary, but because of how we've moved, and especially with ATS and with LinkedIn, you have a, you have a resume, you have a LinkedIn profile, you have the introduction. Why do you need another thing just saying all of the same things? In addition, you have to fill out the company's like one hour application is going to tear everything apart anyway. So the idea of like writing this extra piece of homework that virtually no recruiter ever reads, anyone that uses an ATS, you know, you have 7,000 applicants, recruiters are not looking at cover letters. And I see people like painstakingly making cover letters and I see other people, um, you know, sort of tapping in on that and trying to sell them cover letter templates saying, this is the perfect cover letter template. This is how I got my job at Google. I'm like, you're liars. <laughs> it's so funny. I just learned a poll on LinkedIn in the last week on cover letters. And I asked hiring managers, what do you think? Do you want a cover letter? Yes, no, I really don't care. Mm -hmm. And on first glance, yes and no were very close. It's a two point difference between them. But when you add in the I don't care, those are people who don't want cover letters. Exactly. And it was like, it was a trick move on my part to find that out. When you add that in, it was like 65% of, of firms don't want cover letters. Exactly. And, and I try to be, I'm sorry, please. I was about to say the one place I like cover letters with the ATS, it's a little trick to fool the ATS. And you make the cover letter page one. Mm -hmm. And what that does is if you use the format of the T letter, and that is flush left, yep. skills and requirements, <laughs> flush right, how long and how recently, and this is page one of the resume, the cover letter of the applicant tracking system says, hey, it's got all the keywords. Yes. The, yeah, when you're using a cover letter to help make sure your ATS gets ranked higher, I'm okay with that. It's, it's more of just the... The blanket requirement and i am any and I, one of the downsides and i'm sure you know this is anytime you give job search advice it is impossible to share your opinion without disclaiming it i'm speaking about medium to large corporations i well aware like academic and anytime i talk about cover letters on either my TikTok or i make things generally it's academia um education is like no we need cover letters they're essential I'm like i know i'm talking about medium to large corporations <laughs> i still think they're dumb but i can't speak to those because i don't have industry experience and one thing i'll say about I come from the day when they covered the resume. Oh my God. <laughs> so remember in days of old, before there was word processing, there were typewriters and no one could constantly retype the resume to make it fit the specific job ad they saw. So the cover letter was the thing that customized the resume. So I didn't have a chance to include this. And thus, you'd staple it on top of the resume, so it covered it. That's how the name That's came how it was about. Cover letter. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, when I entered the job market, it was definitely a thing. But you sent it first when you faxed it. So I'm definitely like above the faxing machine. That was the first thing. It was like the cover letter and then the two-page resume. Uh, I, I, folks, I'm not going to explain to you what a fax machine is. <laughs> you can look <laughs> look it up on Wikipedia. Okay, <laughs> relics of the past. <laughs>
No, he's talking old guy stuff. What can I tell you? <laughs> and government. <laughs> so we, I, I know there's at least one more myth. There's a second myth you talked about in terms of cover letters. And what was the second one that you brought up? If you don't remember, you uh, excuse me. Thank you. Yeah. And what do you think, what do you think is wrong about a thank you note? So the way, the way I do it and the way I think about it is, again, the thank you note to me started when you interviewed with three people. It was like you spoke to the recruiter, you spoke to the hiring manager, you maybe had one peer interview, and then you spoke to the department head. And sending a thank you note was like a nice reminder, but it was also when you had a really smaller candidate pool. But the idea of expecting every candidate to write 17 thank you notes, because we just keep expanding, expanding, expanding the interview process. You have to meet the head of the department peers, the, you know, the person's contractor, their favorite hot dog vendor, you know, the secretary they spoke to once, like you have to talk to everyone in the company. And you have college students who are learning from their very out of touch academic institutions and their very outdated career centers, you have to send a thank you note. And they're literally just sending 20 thank you notes to every single person they meet. And most of the people that I know, just like, we feel awkward getting them. It's like, it's like, we're, we're not reading them. We're not paying attention to them. And so the idea of ever calling a candidacy and debating whether or not they're going to be a good fit for hire on whether or not they wrote a, uh, a thank you note, to me means that you should not be a hiring manager. And I wonder sometimes, because I've sometimes advised people to do the thank you note, mm -hmm. not very often, but you know, if it's down to the wire okay. and you know you're on the final, so you've speak, spoken to the poobah in charge of fill in the blank. And I know everyone has a metric about off, uh, offers and rejections, offers in turn uh, and acceptances. And there's any question about you in the competition. I just view it as one last sales opportunity where you illustrate some of the points that relate to why you think you can do the job, express your interest and you're out. And this way, if there's a tie and they have any doubt, they wanna go to the one that they can close. I think so. under those circumstances, I can agree. And I'm thinking under like out of, like I would probably say I've easily sat on like 10,000 panel assignments of just, okay, which candidate are we selecting? I've never had one where someone's like, we're going with this one because he sent a good thank you note. But instead what I could say, what I could see in that regard is like if you're down to the wire and you send a thank you note, but you use that as an opportunity to push something that, you know, doing a strategic thank you note, that's good. Excellent. Doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> because you're the guy on the other side and that helps me, it helps other people uh, confirm some of the thinking about what to do, what not to do. Absolutely. So let's start talking about the hiring process. Yes. And start looking at the offer phase. Ooh. Very exciting. Offer. And what's going on behind the scenes when the, you know, the, the message is coming through the third party recruiter to the candidate, we're gonna make them an offer. We're gonna make her an offer. What's going on behind there for how the number is derived? How, what what uh, goes into the thinking about what the number is? Oh, so this isn't my favorite myth to bust. And it's so funny because I have to try to convince people and I have to consistently tell them, I don't work for a company. I have literally no reason to lie to you. <laughs> like, I swear, as the person who approves every offer and I'm the one you're negotiating with, like HRBPs are typically have to sign off on any out of range exceptions. The, the first myth bust- I, I, want, I want to time out that out of range exception? Yes. What is an out of range exception? 
And so I would say, again, here's the disclaimers, but most medium to large companies, anyone that utilizes a scientific model for compensation, we have the full range, which is like the minimum to the maximum for how much we're going to pay for that role. And then we have what we call a target range and that we generally want all employees to fit within a target range. And it's typically what we would call like between 0 0.80 to typically 1.05 or what we call the comp ratio, which I know I just introduced a new term. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a really important term to know. Gotcha. So the comp ratio is the formulaic way that a firm says we want to box the number in. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not quite. It's it's a way to describe the where you are in relationship to what the what the range's mastery level is. Essentially, the maximum general pay that you're going to get for that role. And thus, point eight zero. How does that um, reflect knowledge or experience versus the 1.05, I think the, the, the high-end number was? And how, how does that get measured in order to determine like, where the offer comes out at? So one of the things that we look at, especially during the first phone screen, when the recruiter asks, what are you thinking about compensation-wise, and you give them a range, one of the things that we'll look at, especially during the interview, is how your skills, how your experience match up because we build a range to account for differences. You know, we're, we put up a social media coordinator, someone with three years of experience working at a big tech company is going to have a very different skill set than someone with six months in a nonprofit. And so those two roles might be expected to do the same thing, but they're going to do it at different levels. And so we account for that range to, to, to build for that. So the person with the nonprofit may be at like the 0.80 to 0.85, the more um, experienced social media person may come in at like 0.9 to 0.95. We typically do not like to make offers close to one because the first thing is that the company's taking a chance on you. We have no idea how you're going to perform. So like we're, we're essentially just calling it like an investment role. And the problem is if you get too close to one, that means that you're not going to be eligible for further increases because what, the other thing that we try to do is protect internal equity, which uh, candidates do not care about at all until they're an employee. And that, that becomes their favorite thing to complain about. <laughs> People complain? Oh, come on. Daniel, you must be kidding. Employee complaining? Never. Everyone's so happy. Because <laughs> after all, everyone operates like family. Oh, God. Don't get me started with that. <laughs> like in the Christmas movies, that kind of family. That, that's how family. things are <laughs> But more so. <laughs> so now we're looking at you know, figuring out where the person is on this range of possibilities based upon skill level, how they interview, and projected performance once on board. Like what kind of learning curve are they going to have based upon using your example, three years of social media, expectations are they walk in and they're they're rocking and rolling right away. Someone with six months at a nonprofit doing social media work, a little bit different expectations. So we got to curve it downward for them. So the offers about to be made and they say, it's a little bit less than what I'm, I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And now we're, we're, we're looking at the, how do we move the number up since it doesn't quite fit the formula? Yes. And so this, this ties back into what I think is was my, my favorite myth to bust that no one believes me, or they're starting to believe me that it, one, of the, one of the positives to HR business partners, one of the things that we all share and that we all value is that after the, for the financial crash of 2008, when the HRBP model first really started to become so vital was working with leaders to, to do away with what we would call potentially negative business practices, like uh, a manager getting a bonus if they spent less than their, their department still allocation headcount. So by removing things like that, 
what we started to see was that if you pay people really well, they'll actually perform really well. And so everyone thinks HR wants to underpay people. Like we love spending the company's money and we love the idea of a candidate being excited. So a lot of us actually like the idea of giving a candidate more than they want. And if we can't, one, it's either because finance, because they're actually the, the party busters, or two, you're, it's too far out of range, or three, it potentially introduces like an internal inequity issue. Gotcha. I'm going to back up for a second, just in case people are not familiar with the role. What does an HR business partner do? Oh, sure. So an HR business partner is essentially someone who partners directly with the business as a talent consultant. So instead of just being very like what I call white tower HR, like sitting in the high castle in the office, occasionally coming down to issue policies, um, they're just front lines working with the business, uh, with an assigned business unit on their leadership team. And they're con competent and confident enough to speak on the business side, but they're purely viewing things as it relates to a talent perspective. So they're doing things like creating strategies for org design. They're the guardians of the compensation strategy. They're the ones that build the performance management systems and essentially just build all of the people related strategies and really focus on up-leveling the management so that the managers are then giving the employees a really great working experience. And thus in this situation where, you know, the, the offer has been made and the person goes, and they're starting to complain about it. Said, I'm not sure I want to do it at that price. How do you persuade people to up the number since it, it looked good in the formula? So, <laughs> first, ignore all of the, there's so much bad advice. Um, and I, I constantly tell people on TikTok, if someone has not worked within staffing, within HR, within recruiting, or as a hiring manager, why would you take their advice for compensation negotiation? You may get like that once in a lifetime, hey, here's what I did once, which is a completely unverifiable anecdote that has no ability to be verified, where if you talk to HR people, like this is, this is our job, David, and this, we're not inherently skilled or talented at this. Like this isn't our natural board gift. This is just our job every friggin' day. And so when I hear people give compensation advice, I'm like, why would you do that? What, that doesn't make sense. And so the first thing is just to realize the company does, most companies have no interest in lowballing employees and that your, your, the, the full budget of you as a headcount can be anywhere between one to three times your salary because of all of the additional costs that the company is going to pay. So it's not trying to save an extra 10 grand and trying to screw you over. Uh, so the, the, what I always tell people, what, and the way I negotiate and the way I always try to really encourage people to negotiate is don't focus on anything from Glassdoor. Don't talk about that you've done your research. We know you don't have access to this information. Companies pay millions of dollars for this market data. You don't have it. So we know, we know you don't. You mean Stay it's not available on Glassdoor for free? Right? It's, cre it's incredible. <laughs> and I don't, and I have nothing against people that say that because we do such a horrible job of informing people. And I come from a place of privilege because this is my job. But like the sheer amount of people that are like, well, I went on Glassdoor and they said I should make this. And I'm like, oh, God, what, what does that have to do with us? Like, that's, again, totally unver unverifiable data. But the key to negotiation is to talk about your value. And so if you talk about I want, if you talk about I was looking for, if you talk about I deserve, it generally will weaken your argument. If you say, here's the value I'm going to bring, that's, that is generally the thing that will get me to approve an offer. Um, and the best way to do that is to actually refer to the interview because now you're using live examples. I, one of the best negotiations, and I think we approved 75,000 more because he was able to articulate from the interview an exact replica of a situation that we had asked that we were trying to solve for, and he had the exact experience in how he was going to solve it. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, Bram. It's like, this is a, a clear-cut decision. Get him in. 
And how did you persuade the people on the other side of this? Meaning, you know, the people you were serving as an HRBP? Oh, I am essentially the gate. Like uh, hiring managers will tease me on this. Of course, it doesn't refer to all of them, but once they've decided on an offer, they don't care. Um, they're just like, whatever, pay them whatever they want. So I have like, I have to, I'm generally the no person. Um, so, so if someone can get me to say yes, it's typically only the department head, which will approve it. And they'll almost always side with the manager anyway. So I'm like the opposition. So when they get me to sign off on it, they're like, yes. Interesting. So this guy is one of the SOBs. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping you from getting your paycheck. That's, That's right. Like, and there are lots of you out there. <laughs> <laughs> and I call gatekeepers, they're SOBs. <laughs> Gatekeeping your money. Right. So what I'm hearing you say, <clears throat> excuse me, is along the way, wherever possible, it's critical to demonstrate value for this particular role. Mm -hmm. No one cares about what they've done. You care about what they've done that matters for this particular role to accomplish the, the focus of this job and get the return on investment that the organization wants. Absolutely. And that is, and again, like most of us as HRBPs, one of my favorite things is if a candidate gives a range and our range is actually higher and they're saying, okay, you know, I would, so there was a one case of one of the companies I'm consulting with and I, I loved doing this. I never make recruiting calls to offer jobs. Um, but this time I wanted to, because I'd worked on it so much. The range she gave was 80 to 120. Our range for the role was 120 to 150. And we made her an offer at 140. Like the sheer, yeah. joy, her voice was, and, and like, and this is why I tell I'm like, HR is not against you. Like we, we love spending the company's money. We just want to make sure it's fair. We have to make sure it fits against the range. We have to make sure there's a business case to it. But yeah, I, that was like, we love that. And what I also heard you say is that the, and the real enemy in here are the accounting people. I would honestly, I would have to say the real enemy are um, people that are giving job search advice without any knowledge of how it works. I've had to talk three people down from the ledge because they use really bad negotiation advice. One of which um, was told to always aim for 30% above the range that you gave because if the company wants to make you an offer, they'll pay top dollar. And I'm like, no, <laughs> thank you for wasting everyone's time. Do not do that. What kind of poison was that person being handed? Oh my God. And they paid for it. That was the worst part. <laughs> really? Yes. Because no one is regulating this. So like, I've, I, as far as I know, I'm one of like the first HRBPs to sort of like leave corporate and kind of like deal with the public and so kind of like offer kind of services. And the amount of times I've, where people have referred me to either verify someone's authenticity and I'm like, they have no experience in HR. And I'll like, I'll sometimes go undercover and buy their service. And I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Don't do this. This is terrible. I want you to buy my service. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you can check with me. <laughs> I've got good advice. <laughs> like, what? like how, how do people come up with this? You know, it's almost like they went to the offshore recruiters uh, who have left offshore recruiting to get and gotten stupid advice. Yes. And there's so much of it. <laughs> Unfortunately, true. What haven't we covered yet that we really should? What would be helpful, do you think? Uh, one of the things as it relates to, to pay, one of the biggest frustrations that people have, so I think there, there's two things. One is that we as people tend to make 
we tend to align and almost our value as it relates to our personal ego to a salary. So the amount of times where I see posts on LinkedIn or I see TikTok comments or occasionally just even talking to employees at all levels is they weren't going to pay me my value or they were underpaying me. And when you work on the other side, it, there's, no personal, there's, there's no personal attack to this. The company's not undervaluing you. This is just what they're valuing the position. Or it could be that the company really values you, but this is just how much they budget it, or they can't give any more on this role. And so one of the things I always encourage is just to remove like a, any kind of personal attack from it versus just if a company does not meet your salary expectations, it's not personal. Just say, thank you for the offer. Um, this is not quite what I've had in mind. You know, if you're with a company for a few years and you feel like you're starting to trend below market, then it, you either have the conversation or you take advantage of a market shift and go 20% increase just taking advantage of a market. The other big thing is realizing there's five different factors that impact compensation. Most people are familiar with the title, location, industry, job family, but there's like a hidden one that I feel like not a lot of people know of, which is job family to industry alignment. So if you work for an industry that places a high value on that job family, that's where the money is. And I feel like a lot of people miss that. When you say job family, what do you mean by that term? So we call job families are like the overarching businesses. So like sales, finance, marketing, engineering, data, HR, IT. Gotcha. And I just wanted to make sure the audience understood. Oh, yeah. Because you and I do, but we're having a good time with one another, but we're here to inform other people. That's a good point. Yes. <laughs> Daniel, this is fabulous. How can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Oh, so um, if you're on TikTok, and please do not be afraid if you're old like me, like TikTok is the place to be right now. Everyone is on it. There's so much amazing content. Like I, there's someone I'm following who does sync reviews in restaurants, and that's amazing. So I post content, Dan from HR. I do a lot of just personal uh, questions and answers. And then I open up a website, www.danfromhr.com. Um, in which I there I normally will post blogs about job search, answer questions about it, as well as offer some of my services. Super. Dan from HR, thank you. This has been fabulous. And folks, we'll be back soon with more. I'm Jeff Altman, The Big Game Hunter. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did and you're watching on YouTube, click the like button. Do something that lets people know it was worthwhile. Leave a comment. Subscribe to my channel at JobSearchTV.com, and you'll get notified whenever I release new stuff. Also, want to mention, if you're interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching or just have questions, at my website, you can schedule time for a free discovery call or schedule time for coaching. I've got thousands of blog posts you can watch, listen to, or read that will help you find work more quickly. But it's not customized for you, which is what I try and do to streamline those 11,000 plus posts down to something that's relatable specifically for you. And connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. I got my new book out, by the way. The Right Answers to Tough Interview Questions is available on Amazon as a paperback and Kindle book. And it pairs very nicely with my book called The Ultimate Job Interview Framework. Hope you have a terrific day, and most importantly, be great! Take care. <laughs>